Good day, my friends, and welcome to June 15th. We're on day 165 of our journey through the Bible this year. And today we're going to be reading from 1 Kings. We're actually going to finish the book of 1 Kings today. We're going to read chapters 20 to 22. And then we're going to finish off today's reading with Psalm 83. So let's get right into it. The book of 1 Kings, chapter 20. At about this same time, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mustered his troops. He recruited, in addition, 32 local sheiks, all outfitted with horses and chariots. He set out in force and surrounded Samaria, ready to make war. He sent an envoy into the city to set his terms before Ahab, king of Israel. Ben-Hadad lays claim to your silver and gold, and to the pick of your wives and sons. The king of Israel accepted the terms. As you say, distinguished Lord, I and everything I have is yours. But then the envoy returned a second time, saying, On second thought, I want it all, your silver and gold and all your wives and sons. Hand them over the whole works. I'll give you twenty-four hours. Then my servants will arrive to search your palace and the houses of your officials and loot them. Anything that strikes their fancy, they'll take. The king of Israel called a meeting of all his tribal elders. He said, look at this, outrageous. He's just looking for trouble. He means to clean me out, demanding all my women and children. And after I already agreed to pay him off handsomely. The elders, backed by the people, said, don't cave in to him. Don't give an inch. So he sent an envoy to Ben-Hadad. Tell my distinguished Lord, I agreed to the terms you delivered the first time, but this I can't do. This I won't do. The envoy went back and delivered the answer. Ben-Hadad shot back his response. May the gods do their worst to me and then worse again, if there will be anything left of Samaria but rubble. The king of Israel countered. Think about it. It's easier to start a fight than end one. It happened that when Ben-Hadad heard this retort, he was into some heavy drinking, boozing it up with the sheiks in their field shelters. Drunkenly, he ordered his henchmen, go after them, and they attacked the city. Just then a lone prophet approached Ahab, king of Israel, and said, God's word, have you taken a good look at this mob? Well, look again, I'm turning it over to you this very day, and you'll know beyond the shadow of a doubt that I am God. Ahab said, really? And who is going to make this happen? God said, the young commandos of the regional chiefs. And who, said Ahab, will strike the first blow? God said, you. Ahab looked over the commandos of the regional chiefs. He counted 232. Then he assessed the available troops, 7,000. At noon, they set out after Ben-Hadad, who, with his allies, the 32 sheiks, was busy at serious drinking in the field shelters. The commandos of the regional chiefs made up the vanguard. A report was brought to Ben-Hadad. Men are on their way from Samaria. He said, if they've come in peace, take them alive as hostages. If they've come to fight, the same, take them alive as hostages. The commandos poured out of the city with the full army behind them. They hit hard in hand-to-hand -hand combat. The Arameans scattered from the field with Israel hard on their heels. But Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, got away on horseback along with his cavalry. The king of Israel cut down both horses and chariots, an enormous defeat for Aram. Sometime later, the prophet came to the king of Israel and said, On the alert now, build up your army, assess your capabilities, and see what has to be done. Before the year is out, the king of Aram will be back in force. Meanwhile, the advisors to the king of Aram said, Their god is a god of the mountains. We don't stand a chance against them there. 
So let's engage them on the plane where we'll have the advantage. Here's the strategy. Remove each sheik from his place of leadership and replace him with a seasoned officer. Then recruit a fighting force equivalent in size to the army that deserted earlier, horse for horse, chariot for chariot, and we'll fight them on the plane. We're sure to prove stronger than they are. It sounded good to the king. He did what they advised. As the new year approached, Ben-Hadad rallied Aram and they went up to Aphek to make war on Israel. The Israelite army prepared to fight and took to the took the field to meet Aram. They moved into battle formation before Aram in two camps, like two flocks of goats. The plain was seething with Arameans. Just then a holy man approached the king of Israel, saying, This is God's word, because Aram said, God is a god of the mountains and not a god of the valleys. I'll hand over this huge mob of an army to you. Then you'll know that I am God. The two armies were poised for a standoff for seven days. On the seventh day, fighting broke out. The Israelites killed a hundred thousand of the Aramean infantry in one day. The rest of the army ran for their lives back to the city, Aphek, only to have the city wall fall on 27,000 of the survivors. Ben-Hadad escaped into the city and hid in a closet. Then his advisors told him, Look, we've heard that the kings of Israel play by the rules. Let's dress in old gunny sacks, carry a white flag of truce, and present ourselves to the king of Israel on the chance that he'll let you live. So that's what they did. They dressed in old gunny sacks and carried a white flag and came to the king of Israel saying, Your servant Ben-Hadad said, Please let me live. Ahab said, You mean to tell me that he's still alive? If he's alive, he's my brother. The men took this as a good sign and concluded that everything was going to be all right. Ben-Hadad is most certainly your brother. The king said, Go and get him. They went and brought him back by chariot. Ahab said, I am prepared to return the cities that my father took from your father, and you can set up your headquarters in Damascus just as my father did in Samaria. I'll send you home under safe conduct. Then he made a covenant with him and sent him off. A man who was one of the prophets said to a bystander, Hit me, wound me, do it for God's sake, it's his command, hit me, wound me. But the man wouldn't do it. So he told him, because you wouldn't obey God's orders, as soon as you leave me, a lion will attack you. No sooner had the man left his side than a lion met him and attacked. He then found another man and said, hit me, wound me. That man did it, hit him hard in the face, drawing blood. Then the prophet went and took a position along the road with a bandage over his eyes, waiting for the king. It wasn't long before the king happened by. The man cried out to the king, Your servant was in the thick of battle when a man showed up and turned over a prisoner to me, saying, Guard this man with your life. If he turns up missing, you'll pay dearly. But I got busy doing one thing after another, and the next time I looked, he was gone. The king of Israel said, You've just pronounced your own verdict. At that, the man ripped the bandage off his eyes, and the king recognized who he was, one of the prophets. The man said to the king, God's word, because you let a man go who was under sentence by God, it is now your life for his, your people for his. The king of Israel went home in a sulk. He arrived in Samaria in a very bad mood. First Kings chapter 21. And then to top it off came this, Naboth, the Jezreelite, owned a vineyard in Jezreel that bordered the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. One day Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard so I can use it as a kitchen garden. It's right next to my house, so convenient. 
In exchange, I'll give you a far better vineyard, or if you'd prefer, I'll pay you money for it. But Naboth told Ahab, Not on your life, so help me God, I'd never sell the family farm to you. Ahab went home in a black mood, sulking over Naboth the Jezreelite's words. I'll never turn over my family inheritance to you. He went to bed, stuffed his face in his pillow, and refused to eat. Jezebel, his wife, came to him. She said, What's going on? Why are you so out of sorts and refusing to eat? He told her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite. I said, Give me your vineyard. I'll pay you for it, if you'd rather. I'll give you another vineyard in exchange. And he said, I'll never give you my vineyard. Jezebel said, Is this any way for a king of Israel to act? Aren't you the boss? On your feet, eat, cheer up, I'll take care of this. I'll get the vineyard of this Naboth the Jezreelite for you. She wrote letters over Ahab's signature, stamped them with his official seal, and sent them to the elders in Naboth city and to the civic leaders. She wrote, call for a fast day and put Naboth at the head table, then seat a couple of stool pigeons across from him who, in front of everybody, will say, you, you blasphemed God and the king. Then they'll throw him out and stone him to death. And they did it. The men of the city, the elders and civic leaders, followed Jezebel's instructions that she wrote in the letters sent to them. They called for a fast day and seated Naboth at the head table. Then they brought in two stool pigeons and seated them opposite Naboth. In front of everybody, the two degenerates accused him. He blasphemed God and the king. The company threw him out in the street, stoned him mercilessly, and he died. When Jezebel got word that Naboth had been stoned to death, she told Ahab, Go for it, Ahab. Take the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite for your own. The vineyard he refused to sell you. Naboth is no more. Naboth is dead. The minute Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he set out for the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite and claimed it for his own. Then God stepped in and spoke to Elijah the Tishbite. On your feet, go down and confront Ahab of Samaria, king of Israel. You'll find him in the vineyard of Naboth. He's gone there to claim it as his own. Say this to him, God's word, what's going on here? First murder, then theft? Then tell him God's verdict, the very spot where the dogs lapped up Naboth's blood. They'll lap up your blood. That's right, your blood. Ahab answered Elijah, my enemy, so you've run me down. Yes, I found you out, said Elijah, and because you've bought into the business of evil defying God, I most certainly bring doom upon you. Make mincemeat of your descendants. Kill off every sorry male wretch who's even remotely connected with the name Ahab. And I'll bring down on you the same fate that fell on Jeroboam, son of Nebat and Basha, son of Ahijah. You've made me that angry by making Israel sin. As for Jezebel, God said, Dogs will fight over the flesh of Jezebel all over Jezreel. Anyone tainted by Ahab who dies in the city will be eaten by stray dogs. Corpses in the country will be eaten by carrion crows. Ahab, pushed by his wife Jezebel and in an open defiance of God, set an all-time record in making big business of evil. He indulged in outrageous obscenities in the world of idols, copying the Amorites whom God had earlier kicked out of Israelite territory. When Ahab heard what Elijah had to say, he ripped his clothes to shreds, dressed in penitential rough burlap and fasted. He even slept in coarse burlap pajamas. He tiptoed around quiet as a mouse. Then God spoke to Elijah the Tishbite. Do you see how penitently submissive Ahab has become to me? Because of his repentance, I'll not bring the doom during his lifetime. 
Ahab's son, though, will get it. 1 Kings chapter 22 They enjoyed three years of peace, no fighting between Aram and Israel. In the third year, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, had a meeting with the king of Israel. Israel's king remarked to his aides, Do you realize that Ramoth-Gilead belongs to us, and we're sitting around on our hands instead of taking it back from the king of Aram? He turned to Jehoshaphat and said, Will you join me in fighting for Ramoth-Gilead? Jehoshaphat said, You bet. I'm with you all the way. My troops are your troops. My horses are your horses. He then continued, But before you do anything, ask God for guidance. The king of Israel got the prophets together, all 400 of them, and put the question to them, Should I attack Ramoth-Gilead, or should I hold back? Go for it, they said. God will hand it over to the king. But Jehoshaphat dragged his heels. Is there still another prophet of God around here we can consult? The king of Israel told Jehoshaphat, As a matter of fact, there is still one such man, but I hate him. He never preaches anything good to me, only doom, doom, doom. Micaiah, son of Imlah. The king shouldn't talk about a prophet like that, said Jehoshaphat. So the king of Israel ordered one of his men, On the double, get Micaiah, son of Imlah. Meanwhile, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat were seated on their thrones, dressed in their royal robes, resplendent in front of the city Samaria city gates. All the prophets were staging a prophecy performance for their benefit. Zedekiah, son of Canana, had even made a set of iron horns and brandishing them called out, God's word! With these horns you'll gore Aram until there's nothing left of him. All the prophets chimed in, Yes, go for Ramoth-Gilead, an easy victory, God's gift to the king. The messenger who went to get Micaiah said, The prophets have all said yes to the king. Make it unanimous. Vote yes. But Micaiah said, As surely as God lives, what God says, I'll say. With Micaiah before him, the king asked him, So, Micaiah, do, you, do we attack Ramoth-Gilead or do we hold back? Go ahead, he said, an easy victory, God's gift to the king. Not so fast, said the king. How many times have I made you promise under oath to tell me the truth and nothing but the truth? All right, said Micaiah, since you insist. I saw all of Israel scattered over the hills, sheep with no shepherd. Then God spoke, these poor people have no one to tell them what to do. Let them go home and do the best they can for themselves. Then the king of Israel turned to Jehoshaphat. See, what did I tell you? He never has a good word for me from God, only doom. Micaiah kept on. I'm not done yet. Listen to God's word. I saw God enthroned and all the angel armies of heaven standing at attention, ranged on his right and his left. And God said, how can we seduce Ahab into attacking Ramoth-Gilead? Some said this, and some said that. Then a bold angel stepped out, stood before God, and said, I'll seduce him. And how will you do it, said God. Easy, said the angel. I'll get all the prophets to lie. That should do it, said God. On your way, seduce him. And that's what has happened. God filled the mouths of your puppet prophets with seductive lies. God has pronounced your doom. Just then Zedekiah, son of Canana, came up and punched Micaiah in the nose, saying, Since when did the Spirit of God leave me and take up with you? Micaiah said, You'll know soon enough. You'll know it when you're frantically and futilely looking for a place to hide. 
The king of Israel had heard enough. Get Micaiah out of here. Turn him over to Ammon, the city magistrate, and to Joash, the king's son, with this message. King's orders. Lock him up in jail. Keep him on bread and water until I'm back in one piece. Micaiah said, If you ever get back in one piece, I'm no prophet of God. He added, When it happens, O people, remember where you heard it. The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, attacked Ramoth-Gilead. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Wear my kingly robe. I'm going into battle disguised. So the king of Israel entered the battle in disguise. Meanwhile, the king of Aram had ordered his chariot commanders. There were 32 of them. Don't bother with anyone, whether small or great. Go after the king of Israel and him only. When the chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat, they said, There he is, the king of Israel, and took after him. Jehoshaphat yelled out, and the chariot commanders realized they had the wrong man. It wasn't the king of Israel after all. They let him go. Just then, someone, without aiming, shot an arrow randomly into the crowd and hit the king of Israel in the chink of his armor. The king told his charioteer, Turn back, get me out of here, I'm wounded. All day the fighting continued, hot and heavy. Propped up in his chariot, the king watched from the sidelines. He died that evening. Blood from his wound pooled in the chariot. As the sun went down, shouts reverberated through the ranks. Abandon camp, head for home, the king is dead. The king was brought to Samaria, and there they buried him. They washed down the chariot at the pool of Samaria, where the town whores bathed, and the dogs lapped up the blood, just as God's word had said. The rest of Ahab's life, everything he did, the ivory palace he built, the towns he founded, the defense system he built up, is all written up in the chronicles of the kings of Israel. He was buried in the family cemetery, and his son, Ahaziah, was the next king. Jehoshaphat, son of Asa, became king of Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king, and he ruled for 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother was Azubah, daughter of Shilhi. He continued the kind of life characteristic of his father Asa, no detours, no dead ends, pleasing God with his life. But he failed to get rid of the neighborhood sex and religion shrines. People continued to pray and worship at these idolatrous shrines. He kept on good terms with the king of Israel. The rest of Jehoshaphat's life, his achievements and his battles, is all written in the chronicles of the kings of Judah. Also, he got rid of the sacred prostitutes left over from the days of his father Asa. Edom was kingless during his reign. A deputy was in charge. Jehoshaphat built ocean-going ships to sail to Ophir for gold. But they never made it. They shipwrecked at Ezion-Geber. During that time, Ahaziah, son of Ahab, proposed a joint shipping venture. But Jehoshaphat wouldn't go in with him. Then Jehoshaphat died and was buried in the family cemetery in the city of David, his ancestor. Jehoram, his son, was the next king. Ahaziah, son of Ahab, became king over Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. He ruled Israel for two years. As far as God was concerned, he lived an evil life, reproducing the bad life of his father and mother, repeating the pattern set down by Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who led Israel into a life of sin. Worshipping at the Baal shrines, he made God, the God of Israel, angry, oh, so angry. If anything, he was worse than his father. Psalm chapter 83 
This is an Asaph psalm. God, don't shut me out. Don't give me the silent treatment, O God. Your enemies are out there whooping it up. The God-haters are living it up. They're plotting to do your people in, conspiring to rob you of your precious ones. Let's wipe this nation from the face of the earth. They say, scratch Israel's name off the books, and now they're putting their heads together, making plans to get rid of you. Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gebal and Ammon and Amalek, Philistia and the Tyrians, and now Assyria has joined up, giving muscle to the gang of Lot. Do to them what you did to Midian, to Caesarea, at, and Jabin at Kishon Brook. They came to a bad end at Endor, nothing but dung for the garden. Cut down their leaders as you did Oreb and Zeb, their princes to nothings like Zeba and Zalmana. With their empty brags, we're grabbing it all, grabbing God's gardens for ourselves. My God, I've had it with them. Blow them away, tumbleweeds in the desert waste, charred sticks in the burned-over ground. Knock the breath right out of them so they're gasping for breath, gasping God. Bring them to the end of their rope and leave them there dangling, helpless. Then they'll learn your name, God, the one and only high God on earth. And so, God, I pray that you would bless this reading today. I thank you, Lord, for your word and for all we can learn from your word. I thank you for the purity and perfection of your word. I thank you that we live in a time and a place where we have access to your word electronically, audibly, physically. Your word, Lord, is a lamp to our feet. Thank you, Lord. And thank you, my friends, for joining me today. I pray that you would be blessed by this, and I pray that you would be able to come and join us again tomorrow. If you have anything that you want to add, if you want to tell me a little bit about yourself, if you want to tell me how you came across this podcast, feel free to drop me an email. It's at Bible in a Year with Bill at gmail.com all one word bible in a year with bill at gmail.com or you can join me on facebook i've got a, a little page there bible in a year with bill i don't get on that one very much but it's there and you can drop me a message there too thanks for joining me again and i will see you tomorrow